Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, it's Chris Connell, and it's a fresh new podcast today, Tuesday, August 22, 23. Tomorrow will be 23 23. Uh, today, August 22nd, and we got uh, one of our favorite guests back on today. Mary, we're glad that you're back at the other microphone. We missed you on oh, Friday. Been praying you. for you. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging in there with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're just uh, glad to be back. Thanks to everybody who's tuning in today. We're welcoming Alex Newman back to the podcast. He's a busy man, so we are grateful for his time and extensive knowledge today. we got a lot of great stuff to cover I have a scripture verse for you this morning, as always, Psalm 25, 1 to 5. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we woke up today, you were there with us, and that all that we experience will be filtered through your strong hand and your unconditional love for us. Wow, we we do wait on you, Lord. Help us to endure. Help us to not grow weary. We lift up our conversation today. We pray that you would indeed be glorified. We lift up our guest, Alex, and all of those in his sphere of influence, his family, We thank you for his ministry, the gifts you've given him, and pray for good health and stamina in these busy, busy times, for open doors for ministry for him. And we ask that you walk among us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, welcome back to Stand Up, um, award-winning international journalist, educator, author, and consultant, Alex Newman. He's written for a wide array of publications in the U.S. and abroad. He's an education writer for Freedom Project Media, senior editor of the New American Magazine, president of Liberty Sentinel Media. That's at libertysentinel.org and does an impressive impression of Klaus Schwab. Good morning, Alex Newman, or should I say Guten Morgen? Great to be here. It's talk so many And I do not speak German. My grandmother did, my dad did, but it stopped right there. So anyway, it's great to have you back. Uh, we're just going to dive right in today. I want to talk to you about BlackRock, the monstrosity that is BlackRock. I know it's a huge topic. We're going to take our time with it this morning. Where do you want to start? I mean, we can start with the awakening of corporate America. And what, Alex, what do we need to know about BlackRock? Who are they and what what are they doing with our money? Well, I think the most important thing to know is that they are the primary reason that so many of our companies are – uh, really legendary businesses. I mean, from from Disney to Anheuser Busch to Target. I mean, these are iconic American companies. It's the reason why they are going woke. It's a it's the reason why they are alienating their customers and um, forcing their employees into things that they don't want. It's the reason they're burning up shareholder value with no legitimate business purpose. Um, they basically BlackRock uh, has ten trillion dollars under management. I mean, to put that in perspective, that's more than the national annual production, the national annual economy of every country in the world except Mm. China and the United States. 
And uh, they're taking this money. This is our retirement funds, our, our, our pension funds, you know, for our state and our local and our county government workers. Uh, this is our money that is then being invested in companies. I mean, BlackRock uh, owns a huge stake of virtually every company you can think of, along with the other two big ones, uh, State Street and uh, Vanguard. And then they're voting our shares, right? So they're they're voting by proxy for us and uh, voting for these companies to go woke. So they're telling oil companies not to explore for oil, but instead to, you know, buy carbon credits from Al Gore type thing. Uh, they're, they're promoting this ESG, environmental social governance, where these companies, instead of focusing on making money and uh, mitigating risk, instead they're focusing on, uh, you know, how many transgenders do we have in our advertisements mm-hmm. and do we have enough uh, different skin tones on our board of directors and have we bought enough carbon credits from Al Gore this year to satisfy the global warming nuts? So uh, it's a total, at best you can say it, it's burning up shareholder money for no legitimate reason. But at worst, it's weaponizing our money against us, against our families, against our values, against our country, against our churches. Um, and it's got to stop. Uh, and uh, thankfully, it's being exposed. But this is an atrocity being perpetrated against us. BlackRock got rich through its uh, really parasitic relationship on the American taxpayer and on the Federal Reserve Bank, the nominally private central bank that controls our money supply and um and what they're doing is simply wicked it's that simple well it's you know you say in your article the power of this corporate leviathan is unfathomable it owns more than five percent of most s&p 500 companies according to cnbc you know people think well i can go to walmart i can i can buy a coke i can get a blanket on amazon and i can stay away from that but but that's not true is it that's right. Uh, BlackRock owns a huge stake in each of those companies. They own a huge stake in Moderna. I mean, every company that you can think of, right? And, and then to add insult to injury, the other two leviathons in this industry, State Street and Vanguard, are actually relying on BlackRock's proprietary AI platform called Aladdin to make uh, a lot of their investment decisions about risk and things. And so nobody really knows outside of BlackRock how this thing works, this Aladdin uh, who programmed it, how it was programmed, what it was programmed to do, and yet they have tens of trillions of dollars that are being invested based on whatever this um, AI platform is spitting out. Uh, and we know from Larry Fink, the guy who founded and runs BlackRock, he's a board member of the World Economic Forum, he's a board member of the Globalist the Deep State Front Group Council on Foreign Relations. I mean, he's uh, got a long track record of being in bed with the people trying to destroy our country. And so now his company, BlackRock, is helping to guide the investment decisions, even of his biggest competitors. Wow. So uh, this is, it, it's hard to overstate the danger here. Um, you know, it'd be bad enough if it was a well-intentioned company that was just trying to make money. Yeah. Um, but when you have a, a company that is beyond the point of being interested in making money and are more interested in basically subjugating the planet to this crazy great reset that the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum is pushing, we have a real problem. Wow. Uh, governments, investors... And banks rely on Aladdin from everything, for everything from deciding where to allocate bailout funds to deciding where to invest capital. So basically, Aladdin is running the free world. That's the impression I'm getting here. Exactly, it, and wow. it sounds crazy, and yet it is right. Uh, you wow. know, if, if your company doesn't satisfy the the requirements of Larry Fink and BlackRock, and every year he writes this letter to CEOs where he basically gives them orders, and uh, they all cower in submission because he's got uh, control over where the investment dollars are going to go. You make Larry Fink mad, well, your company will find itself starved for capital. You'll get a low ESG score, and banks won't lend you money, and investors won't uh, put money in there. So uh, this is very, very dangerous. And, 
you know, when you have uh, a guy with that much power, and when he got that much power by cozying up to the federal government, cozying up to the Federal Reserve, and using our money against us, right? This is the guy who was contracted by the federal government and by the Federal Reserve to manage. This is how they got so big to manage the bailouts. Back in 2007, 2008, they were contracted again to help manage the bailouts during the the COVID thing. So while Americans are having their small businesses shut down, while Americans are having their churches shut down, while Americans are having to be locked in their houses, forcibly injected with these things that we didn't want, uh, Larry Fink is sitting up there forcing our companies to be woke with our money, saying, hey, I've, I've got all the federal bailout dollars and all the central bank bailout dollars. You want this money? You better go woke. So uh, we have a real, real problem here. And, uh, again, it's hard to overstate the importance of this, and your average American doesn't even have a clue right now. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, the whole subprime meltdown then was Larry Fink back in uh, 07, 08? Yep. He, he was the key individual. Uh, actually, yeah, there was an article in Bloomberg, I believe it was, that I quoted. It, it may not have been Bloomberg. It might have been the Financial Times that said that of all the people that talked to uh, then-Treasury Secretary Timothy TurboTax Geithner, I call him, call him TurboTax Geithner because he didn't pay his taxes, and then he blamed TurboTax. Right? Well, imagine if we could all do that. Yeah, right. um, but so, so the guy who most spoke with Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner at that time was Larry Fink of BlackRock. This is a guy who actually helped oversee these special investment vehicles that were created by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve was basically printing money and handing it out to their cronies Mm -hmm. with Larry Fink as the intermediary. And, of course, Larry Fink is plowing this into the companies that he owns. I mean, it's it's such a massive conflict of interest. You couldn't even make this up in a bad sci-fi movie. It's that bad. no kidding. He's the biggest of the big wigs is what I'm getting out of that. Um, I remember when right after the um, Bud Light thing and then a few other companies, and then all of a sudden Chick-fil-A was announcing this or that, and then the red flags went up because I thought, okay, we're supposed to all go woke, yay, yay us. But when that happened, I thought, okay, somebody's got to be behind it. And so when you see a more conservative company, how in the world, I mean, like you said, a company like Chick-fil-A, they really have no um, alternative but to, but to, I mean, I, uh, I'm sort of saying this out loud. This is sort of a rhetorical question, right? So a company like Chick-fil-A has no alternative but to go along with this agenda? Yeah, Chick-fil-A is a really interesting case study because Chick-fil-A is actually a privately owned company. Mm-hmm. They, they don't need um, you know, people to buy shares on the New York Stock Exchange to be able to keep the value of the company up. Yeah. Uh, but they do, of course, have to do business with a lot of other companies, and I'm sure they, they require oh. credit. And so what has happened here with this ESG architecture? Now, you know, Larry Fink over the last month or two has said, well, you know, ESG is now like a politically charged, toxic term, so we're not going to use that anymore. But, <laughs> just, you know, the concept still holds. Yeah. And so what happens is it, it's very much like the social credit score system in China. If you're a company and you're trying to keep your ESG score high, you want to do business with other companies that have ESG scores that are high. Um, like in China, you know, if you if you start, everybody, every slave gets a social credit score. And if you start associating with people who are you know, asking too many questions about mm-hmm. what the government is doing or, you know, if you're having subversive thoughts and posting them on social media, um, you're going to get a lower score. And then everybody connected to you is going to get a lower score. Right. And so I suspect that's a big part of what happened with Chick-fil-A. You know, oh. I, I can't imagine the owners of the company thought that would be a good business decision. I <laughs> mean, talk about alienating your core base, your, your core consumers. Uh, and so I think what probably happened is they're seeing the, the tea leaves, if you will. They're realizing that virtually every public company and even a lot of the smaller private companies that want to do business with the public companies is having to go woke just to stay in business, mm-hmm. just to keep capital flowing, just to keep investment and credit coming. Mm-hmm. 
that uh, Chick-fil-A probably had to jump on that bandwagon as well. So this is across the board. And, and I mean, this comes down even to the to a local farm in Iowa, right? Because what, what's happening with this ESG system is a company that's going to buy your agricultural produce and turn it into food for some big corporation – they're having to, to comply with this ESG stuff, to give you an example, they're having to come up with what are their emissions all the way up and down the supply line. So that's going to start with your local farmer. The mm-hmm. farmer is being asked now to track his CO2 emissions, his methane emissions, his nitrogen emissions. And there's no law requiring him to do that. But if he wants to sell to one of the big companies that are worried about keeping their ESG score up, they're going to have to force him into that. So this is going to affect Every little nook and cranny of the U.S. economy and ultimately uh, the rest of the Western world. Meanwhile, Larry Fink and BlackRock are shoveling American capital into communist Chinese companies that are building military uh, technologies for the communist Chinese dictatorship, which has slaughtered more people than anyone in the world, mm-hmm. uh, than any government in the world. They're shoveling our money in there like there's no tomorrow. So you know, Larry Fink doesn't actually believe this stuff, clearly. This is a very subversive effort. Wow. So there is social engineering going on, right? I mean, just this morning I saw a headline and I didn't get a chance to read it, but uh, cities are experimenting with getting rid of beef, dairy, and cars. So at some point they, they think that cows and cars are the biggest problem we all have and, and cities are going to start there. Um, and that to me, that's just absurdity. But if, if that's the next thing, where does what's the end game here? I, I simply cannot fathom what's down the pike because they're making it up as they go. Well, that's part of it, yeah. But you know, there is a a, a thing called the UN Agenda 2030, the mm. 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Now, this was adopted in 2015. Uh, almost nothing was reported about it in the American media. In fact, for years, my article about it in the New American was the top result on Google mm. when you search for it until Google entered into a partnership with uh, the UN. But uh, the head of the U.N. General Assembly at the time, Peter Thompson, was calling this the Master Plan for Humanity, to give you a sense of how significant this document is. Um, the head of the U.N. itself, uh, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon at the time, said this was the new global declaration of interdependence and that it was passed by uh, the U.N. General Assembly, which he called the Parliament of Humanity. Uh, of course, it's not a, a parliament. Right? A parliament is a mm-hmm. sovereign legislative body right. um, that supposedly represents the people. You know, nobody's going to tell me Kim Jong Un of North Korea represents the people of North Korea. Right? Mm-hmm. It's ludicrous. But so they passed this atrocity called Agenda 2030, and you can read it. It's, it's basically a recipe for global totalitarianism. Uh, goal number ten, for example, we're going to redistribute the wealth to to get rid of inequality, which you know sounds cute until you realize that's exactly what. Fidel Castro, Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, Paul Pot, uh, Chairman Mao, Fidel Castro, Robert Mugabe, you name your mass murdering communist dictator, yeah. exactly what they said. And so the, now here's where BlackRock comes in. Right? So the U.N. brought together all the governments of the world to approve this document. It was never ratified by the U.S. Senate, but Obama called it an executive agreement. So he claimed it didn't have to be ratified. Well, they signed, the U.N. signed a what they call a strategic partnership with the World Economic Forum. And the purpose of this partnership was to bring businesses on board with Agenda 2030. And so, of course, Larry Fink is on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum. And so what is he doing? He's bringing the businesses of the world, especially of the Western world, 
on board with this Agenda 2030. And again, I encourage people to read Agenda 2030. Uh, abortions for everyone, government control of production and consumption. I mean, it is a recipe for the complete elimination mm-hmm. of national sovereignty, individual liberty, and self-government, and, uh, and of course, economic freedom. And it's happening right in front of our eyes. And Larry Fink and BlackRock are the key players bringing businesses on board to this agenda. Wow, amazing. You're listening to Stand Up For The Truth. We're talking to Alex Newman, uh, Liberty Council. Liberty. I'm sorry, I got that one wrong. Um, I just went brain dead on that one, Alex. Uh, it's Liberty Sentinel. Liberty Sentinel. Oh I knew yep. you'd help me out with that. I had some, something else in my head. So LibertySentinel.org. I want to talk a little bit about um, Brian Dees, uh, Global Head of Sustainable Investing at BlackRock. Um, Biden had chosen him to lead his National Economic Council before going to BlackRock. Um, your article says he served as senior advisor to Obama and Hillary Clinton. Then we have former Black, BlackRock Global Chief Investment Strategist and former official Michael Pyle was selected as Chief Economic Advisor to Kamala Harris. Uh, there is so much. They are so many in cahoots. It's a revolving door of, of government insiders serving in BlackRock. You got the CFR. You got the trilateralists, which people were laughing at in the early 80s that, oh, that's just that, you know, that's just a conspiracy theory. Tell us a little bit, you know, they're buying up, as you say, buying up politicians like baseball cards. But it's just a revolving door of deep state, um, cronies. Is that it? Uh, but how, we used to be afraid of George Soros. Well, George Soros looks like a, a little guy compared to this guy. Yeah, and uh, you know, as Vivek Ramaswamy pointed out, um, at least George Soros was using his own money to do this. Yeah, right. Very big, using our money, so yeah, that, that makes it even worse. But um, yeah, you know, the, to your point about the the revolving door, uh, at this point, it is very difficult to tell where BlackRock begins and mm-hmm. the government ends. I mean, the, the line is very, very blurry. Constant uh, shift from you know senior leadership at BlackRock, they go to serve in senior posts in the regulatory apparatus in the federal government and the Federal Reserve, and then they go back to BlackRock, load up millions and millions of dollars into their bank account, then they go back into quote unquote federal service, and they uh, you know make sure they rig the the no contract bids to BlackRock, and it's just it's a vile vile machine, and it's not just the United States of America. They're buying up European politicians, they're buying up central bankers from around the world. Wow. And uh works very well for them because then when they need a contract with the central bank to oversee a bailout, they just tell one of their employees who used to run that central bank, hey, call up your buddies over at the central bank. Tell them we can handle this for them. No problem. Right. So it, it is a it is a walking, talking conflict of interest of immense proportion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of these contracts, they're, they're no bid contracts. No other company is even having an opportunity to bid to participate in overseeing these programs. It, it's absolutely grotesque. And. Even just a few years ago, liberals would have looked at this and said, what in the world? Mm-hmm. Liberals are supposed to be suspicious of big corporations. Now suddenly we've forgotten all that. We're just after people who don't want men in the girls' bathroom at school. Right, right. Look over here. There's nothing to see over there, and that is taking your money. And this has been building um, since uh, when, Alex? When, when did BlackRock start? We're talking 80s? Yeah, BlackRock came on the scene, it, and it started off actually as a, as a division of a bigger company, another company, Blackstone, and mm-hmm. of course the confusion was deliberate, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but Blackstone is obviously a very powerful company, so, so BlackRock, under Larry Fink's leadership, started off as a division of that, and then as it became mega-profitable, they, they spun it off into its own independent business, and um, it is now 
the corporate powerhouse. I mean, there's nothing else like it. Um, again, even its biggest competitors, State Street and Vanguard, rely on BlackRock's own AI platform to make investment decisions. So BlackRock really is the the big cheese in the investment world, in the corporate world. Uh, there's nothing else like it. And I suppose they own anyone who's running for president. I mean, I know that's a broad brush there, but how can your mind not go there? Of course, right? And and uh, actually, it was widely reported, even the, in the establishment propaganda media, that uh, when uh, Biden announced that he was running for president, Larry Fink said, hey, I'm here to help. Right? What do you need me to do? And of course, he was. So, and he is. And um, unfortunately, Larry Fink is a Democrat, but he, he's very proud of this. I mean, he, I've got video clips of him that I've, I've used in some of my own videos where he's saying, hey, we're going to force behavior change on mm. people. And now, you know, part of that is through weaponizing our money and making our corporations go woke so that all the employees, all the customers have to deal with this. But also a big part of it is buying up our government. Uh, they're, they're donating massive amounts of government or uh, of money into the political realm to take control of not just our government, but other governments around the world. Um, it's hard to overstate the danger of this. Wow, that's just incredible. And, and I, I guess, I don't know, I just think that people aren't necessarily aware, but I, I believe everything is just building behind the scenes. We're entering such an incredible time in this world. Is there anything you had mentioned that, it seems like people are starting out. Tucker Carlson, he exposed Fink and BlackRock, and that could have an awful lot to do with where he is right now. But um, is there anything that we can do? Do you think that the pendulum's going to swing a different direction? Well, I think BlackRock's getting very nervous about this. <laughs> um, you know, hmm. they're um, they're playing PR defense right now, uh, and they should be nervous because there is a growing tide of outrage about this that's sweeping hmm. across uh, not just the United States of America but across the world. And um, a lot of the people that are upset are in positions of pretty significant influence. So uh, I've, I've spoken okay. with a lot of public officials. Uh, I first got wind of this when I interviewed uh, Riley Moore. He is the uh, state treasurer of West Virginia. And uh, he said, hey, I'm building a coalition of state treasurers. I think when I first talked to him, he had 15 or 16 others who said, we're not going to accept this anymore. We're not going to accept that you are weaponizing our money mm -hmm. against our state, that you're trying to bankrupt the industries that are the backbone of our state's economies. We're just not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, so they formed this coalition to come after these guys, uh, and I think that was a brilliant idea. Now, BlackRock is on West Virginia's uh, blacklist, right? The oh. state cannot do business. They cannot do business with the oh. state of West Virginia. Interesting. And that's a good start. Um, but there's a lot more as well that's going on here. Um, for example, uh, I've spoken with several attorneys general of the different Republican states, and, and I've written extensively about this. Uh, and they have launched an investigation. I believe they're up at 20 or 22 state attorneys general who are investigating BlackRock for violations of their fiduciary responsibilities to their customers. Right? Instead of mm. figuring out how to uh, earn money for their customers, they're figuring out how to divert money into climate change gimmicks and transgenderism. Mm. So um, there's also antitrust concerns here. Uh, there are collusion concerns, mm -hmm. right? Are they colluding with the United Nations and entering into agreements outside of, you know, the proper channels? And it sure looks like they are. So I think that's very good. I think law enforcement does need to take a, a real look here. I mean, we know the corrupt Biden DOJ is not going to do anything because right. of course, they're owned by BlackRock. <laughs> so we, we can forget about that. Wow. But states can do a lot here. Mm -hmm. And then at, at an individual level, at the level of the investor, uh, we can do a lot too. stop investing your money in BlackRock is, is a good thing to do. Call up your state treasurer, call up your state lawmakers, your county board. Tell them we don't want our public money invested with this wicked corporation that hates us and hates our values. 
And when you make your investment decisions, don't invest in BlackRock. And now it'll take some research, right? When I started digging into this, I didn't even realize I was invested in through BlackRock. Right. I, I owned uh, some ETFs through iShares, which turns out BlackRock picked that up from Barclays some years ago. Wow. So be careful. Find ways to invest. And there's a lot of good like funds and companies now that are basically doing counter ESG investing. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of ways for people to make sure their money is earning good returns and not fueling this monstrous black rock and its allies as they try to destroy our economy and weaponize it all against us. Well, and do your homework. I, I know, I think starting in the 80s, or early 90s, uh, we noticed, because we were newlyweds at the time, that uh, companies were buying up mortgages. You think you have a mortgage with one company, and all of a sudden you find out your mortgage is with someone else, and we were young, and we're like, what is this about? I, th- I think um, people are really going to have to do a lot of digging, right, in order to, to see who owns what that they have, because... If if a social credit score is the thing that they're going to go after, and and uh, based on your behavior, your friends, where you go to church, what you believe, how you vote, blah blah blah, um, and your investments are tied in with BlackRock, that gives them an easier way, right, an easier door to go through to cancel you. No question about it. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I do encourage people to to do the research, and you know, I, I know it it can be time consuming, mm-hmm. but. It really is worth it. And again, uh, you know, just to give you some sense of how bad these stupid ESG investments were, last year, um, the, uh, the, the, uh, what was it? The S&P lost, uh, what, 20% or something like that. And, uh, oil companies went up about 60%. So if you mm-hmm. had been invested based on this stupid ESG thing, you would have been excluding all your oil companies, all your energy companies. So you would have lost all of those huge gains. And, uh, and you would have lost a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, people out there really need to pay attention. Make sure your money's not being invested according to these woke principles <sighs> and uh, that it is being invested according to how you're going to make money. It's like a spider's web, isn't it? Uh, when we come up to Green Bay from Appleton, we see a little investment firm on the way up, and it's called Greenstone. <laughs> oh, wow. Then we kind of look at each other and grin. Yeah, it's like, are you a wannabe or what exactly? Why would you call yourself Greenstone? <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, so anyway, we are talking to Alex Newman. We just have a couple minutes yet before the break. Um, Alex, anything else we need to know about Larry Fink? What I guess um, here's what I wanted to ask you about, and that is the stock market. You, uh, I think you had said in one of your video presentations at Liberty Sentinel um, that they make a tremendous amount of uh, stock market transactions every day. Yeah, they do. Uh, and actually, Aladdin helps determine oh. these things. A lot of these stock market trades are being made without even active human input. So oh. they've got computers and algorithms that are making these decisions. Um, it's extraordinarily dangerous. And uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to deprive companies and uh, entities that won't comply with the new woke orthodoxy mm-hmm. of capital and uh, and money and ultimately to bankrupt them. And, and they're doing this pretty openly at mm-hmm. this point. I mean, they're telling you that they're doing this and uh, it's just completely unacceptable. And if you think you're safe because you're a small farmer or you're a small business owner, uh, you're not understanding how this works. <laughs> so we've got to be aware. Yeah, and I thank you for your research on this because I had heard of them. I knew a little bit about them, not nearly this much. But when I, I see your um, – there's a six-part video series on LibertySentinel.org, and I encourage people to watch all six parts because, again, it will give you a lot more uh, information on BlackRock. Uh, like I said, we only have maybe two minutes before the break. Um, I would like to move over to CBDCs uh, because they are sort of rolling through central banks around the world. And um, let's just, can we just tease this a little bit, uh, Alex? What 
what is next? I mean, central banks are just buying these up like crazy, and there's a list of a list of uh, countries that are doing it. What is a CBDC? Can you give us a, a two minute definition of that? Sure. So a central bank digital currency, they, they want to move us toward digital money. And of course, BlackRock is a huge player here, the World Economic Forum, where Larry Fink sits on the board. Um, I would encourage people, if, uh, if you want to learn more about BlackRock, and you should, uh, I did a cover story on this for the New American magazine. It's available at thenewamerican.com. You can okay. print it out. You can Great. share it. You don't even have to be a subscriber. But uh, Larry Fink is helping to drive this move toward central bank digital currencies. It will mean the end of privacy the end of uh, our ability to do business without oversight by the government and the mega banks. And ultimately, they want to make it programmable. So maybe we can talk more about it over the break, but it will be the end of privacy and the end of freedom if we allow it. Yes, I I think absolutely. I don't know where the U.S. is at with CBDCs, but I know Brazil, Russia, Bank of England, Belarus, Honduras, Bahamas, Jamaica, and then Europe. Um, I think that's a huge one if they're going to... um, Make the make the euro digital. Uh, that's going to be very very significant. I know Europe plays a big role in prophecy at the end times. We are talking to Alex Newman today, LibertySentinel.org, and we uh, talking about BlackRock, something I think that everybody really should know something about. Um, so you can uh, get the New American. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I think it's in the New American, also on LibertySentinel.org. He has a six part video series about that. So I encourage you to listen to those. Uh, We're going to take a break for some sponsorship here, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about CBDCs. And I also want to talk a little bit about uh, the Trump indictments. You know, you can't tell who the players are without a scorecard. So we'll be right back shortly with Alex Newman. And check out StandUpForTheTruth.com and subscribe to our weekly digest of the podcast. You'll see it the red subscribe button, standupwiththetruth.com. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupwiththetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. I am talking with Alex Newman today, and uh, he's with LibertySentinel.org. A lot of great information there. Um, so feel, just go ahead and go to that website, watch the videos on so many different issues. I was looking at a headline this morning. I mean, we're talking about BlackRock, but we also we have AI. We're surrounded by AI. It seems like there's something on every front to take away who we are, what we do, uh, our freedom. Uh, this article says AI can steal passwords by listening to type with a 95% accuracy. Artificial intelligence was recently documented as being able to decipher security passwords just by listening to the sound of a computer's keystrokes. The latest AI research published on August 3rd showcases the training of an AI model on audio recordings of people typing. It was astoundingly adept at discerning the distinct sounds that each key produced an ability beyond the human ear. Wow, we are really, really in trouble here. It said, during testing with just a phone's microphone positioned 17 centimeters away, the AI achieved 95%, 93%, and 91% accuracy rates for typing on a 2021 MacBook Pro Zoom calls and Skype calls respectively alex is there doesn't seem to be a front in which we are not going into some kind of bondage are you getting that impression yeah we are and and i think people still don't have a good sense of how all this data will be weaponized and used against us i mean when you when you realize the power of ai and how rapidly that's advancing and when you realize that they're collecting data on 
everything you do, right? Mm-hmm. Tens of millions of Americans have now brought portable surveillance devices into their homes that they know yeah. listen to every word they say. Yeah. Uh, virtually every American today carries a portable surveillance device around them, and they probably paid good money for it. They call it a smartphone. Right? It knows where you are, what you're doing, who you're with, uh, if you're running, where you're eating dinner. I mean, it's practically making your decisions for you, right? Like, where's a good yeah. restaurant around here? And it tells you where to go. Um, the, the level of control and surveillance that exists today is would have been unimaginable uh, even just uh, a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the system that's being built is just Orwellian. I mean, Orwellian really doesn't do it justice, but it is all comprehensive in every area of your life. And uh, I think people need to really make an effort to, to stop it. You know, I won't have mm-hmm. a smartphone. I've never had one. Really? I, well, I never will. Yeah, people think that's weird, but I, I don't need that in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was fine before smartphones, and I'm fine now. Um, and, you know, I don't use any Google products. I don't mm-hmm. do any searches on Google. I mean, we need to start starving this beast of data to the best of our ability. Oh, wow. And then you have smart homes where you have uh, your your refrigerator and, and just spying on you and your coffee maker and and all those sort of things. I just, I, I don't know if people still buy Alexa. I think there was a lot of exposure on that. Don't don't buy Alexa, you know, and tell me where to do this or where to do that. I, I don't know if people are still buying as many. But I remember being really surprised when my husband and I would have a discussion about some place to visit or some something to eat or somewhere to go. And it would come up on our search engines. I think at first you... You can't fathom that that's actually what it seems to be. And so you just sort of discount it, but now it just happens almost every day, and it gives you the chills. I mean, how can it not? So, wow, you don't have a cell phone. That's just really amazing. Um, <laughs> good for you. Um, CBDCs, Alex. Um, somebody hit the accelerator on those, I think, because so many countries are going that way as central banks. And this kind of ties into BlackRock, right, because they pretty much own the central banks. So... Explain this a little bit, the process. The central banks have to adopt the CBDC, and then all the other banks just have to follow. Is that? I know that's very simplified, but is that kind of the way it is? Well, that's what they're working on, yeah. So the Federal Reserve, to give you a domestic example, the Federal Reserve has started pilot projects, and this began years ago, actually, with the mega banks, the big banks, you know, the Bank of America, the city banks, et cetera, to start rolling out the architecture for the central bank digital currencies. And that is happening right now. In fact, just about 150 miles from where I'm sitting right now uh, is the Bahamas. The Bahamas has actually rolled out now the the world's first true CBDC. Uh, oh. Many of these Caribbean nations are, are moving rapidly here. And the Bank for International Settlements, which is guiding and coordinating this process at the international level, uh, they just put out a report saying that like 95% of the country's governments and central banks of the world are moving in the direction of CBDCs. So... This is uh, it's happening very rapidly. And, you know, in, in, in public, they'll say, well, it's just going to kind of be a more convenient form of cash, right? Uh, and, and yet they know that's not true. In fact, I've got a video of the general manager of um, the Bank for International Settlements bragging that uh, CBDCs are totally different from cash. It's going to allow them to track and trace everything. It's going to give the central banks of the world, as he put it, absolute control over how those central bank digital currencies are spent. And uh, actually at the summer Davos, the World Economic Forum meeting they just held in China this summer, uh, they had one of their speakers bragging about how great it was going to be because you could do programmable currency and uh, government could force you not to be able to buy things. So he, he gave the example of ammunition. If the government doesn't want you to have ammunition, they can program your CBDC to not let you buy ammunition. 
So this is a totalitarian system, and it really brings to mind you know, Revelation chapter 13, where mm-hmm. no man will be able to buy or sell without this mark. You know, am I saying this is the mark? No. Am I saying we're there yet? Mm-hmm. No. But you can see this kind of very, very nightmarish architecture coming into view, and it's coming at us like a freight train. Yeah, it really, really is. And I see we have Brazil and Russia. And immediately when I saw that, I thought of the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, which I always thought was interesting. Um, Are all the BRICS nations in on this? I mean, BRICS is going to have their own currency anyway, right? Isn't that the general idea? And to dismantle the dollar? Or where does BRICS fit into this? Well, you know, I've been studying this for a long time. Uh, even the concept of BRICS was actually developed by uh, the chief economist at Goldman Sachs, the great vampire squid bank, which <laughs> incidentally the largest uh, shareholder in Goldman Sachs is BlackRock, right? <laughs> wow, imagine that. Just a coincidence, I'm sure, uh, the coincidence theorists are saying. But um, so you've got this just incredible architecture that is being used to, to move us in this direction. And, uh, you know, people really need to be paying attention here. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about the Bank for International Settlements? It seems to be set apart as something all its own. I've never understood that. It's in Switzerland. Who is the Bank for International Settlements and what do they do? They, they, they must also be a financial behemoth. Uh, they are. In fact, um, you know, and, and this is where you see clearly kind of where the bricks fit in, right? Because it, it's, it's all really ultimately the same global system, even though there's this kind of, I think, concocted division. But so the Bank for International Settlements is often described as a central bank of central banks. It's, okay. it's a private institution based in Basel, Switzerland, even though it's treated as kind of like a, a UN-type organization. The premises is inviolable. All the people who work there have diplomatic immunity. They can't be searched. They can't be questioned. They can't be arrested. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think the most important revelations about the Bank for International Settlements came from Bill Clinton's mentor, a history professor at uh, Georgetown University called Carol Quigley. He wrote a book uh, back in the 1960s about this I mean, he talked about a lot of things, talked about history and so on, but he talked about this international Anglophile network, as he described it, the roundtable groups that were conspiring to bring the world under a single global government. And he said the system would be based on feudalistic principles, right? Like the World Economic Forum says, you will own nothing, Mm -hmm. just like in feudalism. You own nothing. You have to rent everything from your overlords. And he said the Bank for International Settlements was going to be the apex of this system. And he pointed out it's a private bank owned by the world's central banks, which are themselves private corporations. And so you have the Bank for International Settlements coordinating this move uh, toward a one-world currency through the International Monetary Fund, toward central bank digital currencies through the national central banks of the world, uh, through a global interoperable CBDC platform managed by the IMF. And uh, yet we're being told that uh, the BRICS are this kind of rival block of nations that are... Yeah, there's a lot of conservatives who think the BRICS are resisting the the George Soros and Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates New World Order hmm. that they're constantly talking about. And what I would argue is that people need to read their documents, right? Starting back in 2013, I, I was writing about this for the New American Magazine. This was early on in the history of BRICS. They were meeting and they were passing declarations where they were almost word for word echoing the globalist talking points. Uh, they met in um, in Santa Cruz in Bolivia back in, I believe it was 2013, and they passed a declaration. It was titled, Toward a New World Order to Live Well. 
And they kind of gave away the agenda. They say the U.N. is the emblem of global sovereignty. It needs to manage the new global order. It needs to control the global economy. So the the, the deep staters, the, the diabolical forces that are up against really God and humanity, um, they've got a, a strategy where they try to get two conflicting sides that they can control on both ends. And then through the conflict, create a synthesis that ends up with their end objective. And their end objective here is a one-world totalitarian system. But if they can get that through having two competing blocks that they control on both sides, it becomes much easier to accomplish. And so I believe that's what's going on with the BRICS. Um, you know, I've lived in many of the BRICS countries. I've lived in South Africa. I've lived in Brazil. I've been to almost all of them except China because I would be arrested on the spot. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, what's happening here is the whole world is being moved in this direction, but um, you can see very clearly when you examine the evidence that behind the scenes at the highest levels, they're all on the same team and we're not on it. Wow. Well, and BRICS is the most uh, visible of these uh, trading blocks. I remember back in, I think it was 1970, there was a map put out by the Club of Rome, and it was dividing the world into 10 trading blocks, which kind of fits with Bible prophecy, if that's the way it's going to go. There was a Middle East block. Um, there was an Asian block. Now, China has risen to the top more than I think a lot of us saw coming. Um, do you are, Have you heard anything about any other regions just like BRICS, or is that is that not happening? Because BlackRock is just basically, you know, the master of the universe at this point. Well, BlackRock is driving this process as well. So this is another trend that I've been reporting on extensively for a long time. Uh, Klaus Schwab, in his book on the Great Reset, actually says, you know, people are a little bit upset with globalization right now, so we're going to use an in-between solution, which he calls regionalization. And so, obviously, Mm -hmm. the European Union is the premier example of this. The EU Soviet superstate is today more powerful even than the federal government in the United States. I mean, they literally veto the budgets passed by national parliaments. I mean, if you can believe that, it'd be wow. like the federal government telling Florida, hey, we don't like your state budget. You know, go back to the drawing board. People would be appalled. Mm. Uh, that's what the EU does right now. And so the EU is the model, but they're doing this all over the world. The Africans are having an okay. African union imposed on them. Uh, in Latin America, they're building a union of South American states. Um, in uh, in Eurasia, Vladimir Putin right now is building what he calls the Eurasian Union. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, Southeast Asia, they're building the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And so all over the world, you're having these regional governments pop up. Uh, and it's actually right in line with what Henry Kissinger, who, of course, is the man who recruited Klaus Schwab, uh, has put in his book uh, outlining the strategy toward achieving the New World Order. The book is called World Order. It was published in 2014. And he says this contemporary quest for world order, which is really the contemporary quest for world government, involves, he says, dividing the world up into regional orders and then finding ways to relate these regional orders to one another. So that's what we're watching. And for people who think that we are safe from that in the United States, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, They have been building and working on building a North American Union for almost two decades openly. And we've got the documents to prove it. We've got the president of Mexico, a former president of Mexico, talking openly about this, Vicente Fox. And, uh, you know, NAFTA was the first big step right. in that direction. People don't realize NAFTA set up North American tribunals, really North American courts. It set up North American bureaucracies. It wow. set up a North American regulatory and legal system. And uh, we've got a document from the Bush years in 2007 uh, signed by Paul Carlucci, the U.S. ambassador to Ottawa, where they were plotting on creating a North American currency, a North American parliament, and saying, you know, how do we get 
around the constitutions of the United States and Canada. So this is a real agenda. It's coming at us, again, like a freight train, Mm -hmm. and we better be paying attention. Well, and we can see and say what we know about BlackRock, but don't you think it's just the tip of the iceberg? I mean, just from what we're talking about here, it it seems to me that there's just so much we we know. We we can't quite put all the pieces pieces together, but we're getting there. I do remember NAFTA. My husband and I like to go to Jekyll Island um, from time to time on vacation, and so we we go through all the historical sites there of the birthplace of the Federal Reserve in 1912 and all that, and, and people sort of lived with it for a long, long time and didn't, uh, didn't like it. Some people came out against it, uh, said this is only going to cause trouble having a Federal Reserve Bank or series of banks, and then it spread around the world. And wow, I guess I never thought that I would see such incredible things in my lifetime. Um, but here we are, right? As someone has hit the accelerator, I want to ask you about something called mint chip. Now, I thought mint chip was ice cream, and I love mint chip. What is mint chip in the technological realm? I also live in, I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. It's just amazing. The best flavor by yes. far. Oh, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but so mint chip, uh, this was actually rolled out by the Canadian government years oh, ago. Of course. And it was the, the first major attempt I know of at a, at a digital currency. Um, and they, they were putting out propaganda videos where they're telling parents like, hey, you know, forget cash. You can pay your kids their allowance in mint chip and oh, just put it on their smartphone. And, you know, uh, it's more convenient than cash. So this has been around for years and years in Canada. Uh, they're, they're moving still rapidly in the direction of a central bank digital currency. Mm-hmm. And I think what people need to understand is that as they roll out these CBDCs, whether it be mint chip in Canada, the sand dollar in the Bahamas, um, you know, the, the digital dollars that they're trying to implement here in the United States, they're going to be introduced alongside cash to start with. Okay. So it won't be nearly as alarming, right? We'll, we'll have the option of getting our stimulus payment in central bank digital currency, or we can go and get regular cash, whatever we prefer. But once the system is in place, once the kinks are worked out, once the bugs are worked out of the system, you're going to see an incredible campaign demonizing cash. They're going to tell you it's a tool for terrorists. It's a tool for drug traffickers and pimps and child traffickers and every nasty thing they can associate with cash, they're going to start doing that mm-hmm. to the point where if you want to use cash to buy a coffee at the store, the merchant's going to look at you like, hmm, are you one of those? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to see a tremendous campaign of demonizing cash. And their goal is eventually to completely eliminate cash and force us all onto the digital currency. Mm-hmm. And so different nations are at different places with that. Uh, I just got back from Sweden a couple of weeks ago, and um, Sweden is the furthest along in the world. I mean, you've got people all over that country, thousands of lemmings with microchips in their hands who are now scanning their microchip in their hand to pay for their train fare, to pay for their beer at the bar. And uh, that's what's coming to the rest of the world. Cash is almost non-existent today in Sweden. I mean, you can still get some if you try really hard, if you go to the right bank branch, but it's very, very difficult to get. It's even more difficult to use. And they want that for the whole world with the eventual goal of completely eliminating cash. And that's coming real quick. Yeah, it really, really is. And I know with WorldCoin, um, Altman, his name is, um, they they actually are going to some of the poorer areas that were wiped out by COVID mandates and such. And they're putting money, digital money, in people's banks if they sign on with WorldCoin and if they give up their money. So there will be incentives, right? They will give you, they'll give you money to give up your money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what we'll probably see, and we, we saw the outlines of this during the COVID pandemic, 
um, you, you had Democrats twice trying to sneak language into the quote-unquote stimulus and bailout bills where your stimulus would be paid in central bank digital currency. Mm. Um, thankfully, the Republicans took it out before those bills passed, but twice Democrats put language in that legislation. And you know, by the way, it wasn't a bailout or a stimulus bill. It was a robbery bill. They, they looted the American people, <laughs> yes, handed out did. trillions of dollars to their cronies, and then they handed us a few crumbs so that we wouldn't be too mad about them passing this, like wow. $1,200 per person, which, of course, they stole from us in the first place. <laughs> they yes. don't have a money trace. Wow. And um, twice they tried to say, well, you can get your stimulus, but it'll be in digital dollars at a central bank, at a Federal Reserve depository. So they'll probably say something like that. Oh, you want your Social Security payments? Sure. You just have to have it in CBDC. Oh, you want your, your Medicaid? You want your government benefits, your food stamps, your welfare? Sure. Oh, it's man. just got to be in CBDCs. Wow. Yeah. Now, now you're hitting me where I live, Alex. I'm old. And, and so, you know, if I don't fall in line with the, you know, with the social engineering that they're doing, forget it. We're going to starve. But hey, the Lord uh, doesn't let his people go hungry. I want to ask you also about a global ID. How, here's another front that we have to look at. It's, it's just coming at us, you know, Mach 12. And, um, how does the global ID fit in with all this? Cause that's going to be probably the first requirement, don't you think? Oh, and absolutely. And, and the Financial Times had a um, big, financial newspaper, probably one of the most important in the world. They had an article uh, just a couple months ago where they said that the CBDCs are going to require digital IDs that are tied to your identity, that are tied to information about you. And um, so we're seeing now all over the world. Yeah, It's amazing how all these things are happening all over the world at the same time. Yeah, Everybody right. just woke up one day and said, hey, we don't need self-government. We don't need a nation state. Right. We don't need that. I mean, give me a break, right? Obviously, this is all coordinated. And so this push now... Is coming down at the global level. Uh, we see now at least a dozen states that I know of that are rolling out digital IDs. Uh, California just became the latest to announce that they were going to be doing digital driver's licenses. Mm. Uh, I was at the airport in Des Moines last weekend, and uh, as I'm going through TSA, it says, digital IDs now accepted here. So uh, as Carl wow. Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, explains, in the fourth industrial revolution, which is the technological component of all this, we're going to see a fusion of your physical and your digital and your biological identities all into one. And we're watching that play out here with these digital IDs that are coming at us like a freight train. I feel like a broken record, yeah. but it's all coming at the same time. It is all over the world all at once. That is just an amazing thing. We are clearly being pushed towards a certain uh, global order here that is unmistakable. Uh, now, I guess uh, global <laughs> asking about sovereignty seems like a silly question. It's a moot point because national sovereignty will be down the drain even only through CBDCs, right? Because cross-border payments, now that's something a little bit different, right? They have to Everybody has to agree, or do they, on how this is going to work. I know it's all digital, but cross-border payments is one of the last uh, things standing. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and see, the Bank for International Settlements that we spoke of earlier, they just released a big, very important paper that nobody, unfortunately, is talking about, about where this is all going. They want to create a global ledger where Every asset imaginable, every house, every car, every tree, every everything would be tokenized and put on this digital ledger. And the only way to interact with the digital ledger is through digital currency. So let's say I want to buy a car from you. Instead of you know going down to the DMV and signing on the dotted line and transferring the title over to me, I would just send you some digital currency. You would send me the title for that, uh, the, uh, the token, for that digital asset, it would be recorded on this global digital ledger, 
And so it would all happen on this ledger. And again, this is a way to force people to participate in the system. Okay. You can sell your car. You just got to do it on the digital ledger. You can buy that house. You just got to do it on the digital ledger. And so it becomes a global economic system. And you can only buy or sell if you meet the requirements established by the system. Wow. Wow. And we're talking about uh, I, many years ago, I did a prophecy update on the Internet of Things, that everything would have a chip. It'd be RFID. Everything would be connected on the Internet. And that did come to pass. But now we got blockchain, which is a global ledger of every transaction in real time, everywhere in the world. And it cannot be shut down. It cannot be hacked. That's just an amazing development as it is. Uh, we just have a few minutes left, Alex, and I want to switch gears here. I want to talk about the Trump indictments because here's my question. Is is there any American with two brain cells to rub together out there who does not see the indictments of Trump as revenge on political enemies of the deep state? How do they think we don't see this? What, um, you know, isn't the whole idea, of course, to make sure he doesn't win and doesn't even run or maybe just rots in prison? What What's the latest on the Trump indictments? Yeah, well, I think that's a big part of it. And, and you're right. Everybody sees this. And I think that's part of the point. <laughs> I think they want everybody to see it. The message is clear and unmistakable. If we can take down wow. Donald Trump, your unofficial leader, if you will, of mm-hmm. the resistance to this global madness, who are you? We'll squash you like a bug. Uh. Right? Trump's got billions of dollars and 150 million diehard followers. If we can take him down, we can squash any one of you because you're insignificant. It's a clear, unmistakable mm. message. It will demoralize the opposition. It will terrorize the opposition. Incidentally, it also serves the purpose of discrediting all of our institutions, which they're trying to collapse our system, our constitution, our government. Uh, This is a perfect tool for totally delegitimizing the U.S. government in the eyes of more than half of the population. Um, This serves so many different purposes all rolled up into one. Uh, Again, hard to overstate the danger. But uh, I've been predicting they were going to do this for years. it was very obvious the writing was on the wall some time ago. And, um, you know, this is this is going to absolutely chill opposition, not just in the United States, but around the world yeah. to this agenda, because people will say, well, they took down Trump. You know, I, I'm not Trump. I don't have billions of dollars for lawyers. I don't have a loyal following that will do what I say. Uh, you know, I guess I better just keep my mouth shut and, and go along to get along. So, wow. wow. And other nations of the world, too, must be looking on and just wondering, A, what is going on over there, you know, and what hope do we have, and B, how is this going to come out? Now, there he's supposed to turn himself in, correct, with uh, 18 other people in the state of Georgia by the end of the week? What What's that about, and who are these other people? That's right, and uh, actually, I know many of these people. It's uh, pretty, pretty bizarre to wow. be in this kind of situation. Just last week, I interviewed... Um, uh, one of the guys who's supposed to be arrested, Jeffrey Clark, uh, assistant uh, U.S. attorney general under Trump over the um, civil division and over the uh, environment and natural resources division. So these are basically Trump associates that okay. are being accused as part of what the prosecutor there is claiming is this big racketeering criminal operation that was aiming to overthrow the U.S. government, which, of course, we all know is ridiculous. They were the U.S. government. right? right. <laughs> Why would you want to overthrow yourself? I mean, it's just uh. absolutely silly. But, uh, yeah, they expect them to turn themselves in at this uh, county jail there in Fulton County. And, uh, incidentally, the county has, uh, that jail has had more deaths uh, over the last few years than any other jail. It's filthy. It's overcrowded. It's nasty. They're planning on fingerprinting them and uh, mugshot the works. Um, you know, humiliation ritual. So Yeah, that's the general idea. Wow, Alex, so many things we could keep going on. Um 
we just got to wait and see, I guess, when it comes to the election. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, there's all kinds of tricks in Satan's bag, and it could be anything. Thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. What a great wealth of information. And Lord bless you, Alex. Thanks a lot. God bless you. Thank you for having me. Wow, a lot of information there. Um, we have some other guests coming up. Patricia Angler of Answers, Answers in Genesis on Thursday. Jeff Wiegand, who was going to be on with us last Friday, is on this Friday. Looking forward to that. So much coming up. So um, stay tuned. Look at the archives. There may be some podcasts you're interested in listening to. And we're just going to wrap this up by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God bless. <laughs>